I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the podcast to be named later here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. My name is Alex Stumpf and I am joined today, a special co-host, Josh Taylor of KDKA Sports. Josh, thanks for coming on, man. Good to talk baseball with you again. It's been a while and I'm just glad that it's March and spring training is happening and we got a little bit of normalcy just talking about some baseball. If we could take that and build on it, I'm good. Just a little bit. You know, it's nice to get that little trickle every once in a while. Exactly. Uh, Before we get into it, I'm really excited about this one. Josh is one of my favorite people to talk baseball with, and I am just going to set a warning up here. I have absolutely no idea how this conversation is going to go. I never do when we talk. When we talk, I never know where it's going to go. All the radio segments, I'm like, this could either go five minutes or it could be 15. And my producer's just like, he's like whatever it's you and Alex I don't care so yeah I'm totally okay with things getting weird I'm cool with it I'm used to it by now but I'm gonna try to at least keep us on track here to talk a little 2021 pirates good because I never do so hopefully you're better at it than I am <laughs> I'll try I'll try uh gonna start with the competitions because this has been you know the the camp of competitions uh Derek Shelton has been very open, saying shortstop is going to be wide open between Kevin Newman, Eric Gonzalez, Cole Tucker. Flat out said a couple days ago that there is no front runner there. The outfield, there's a couple spots up for grabs there. Brian Goodwin looks like a safe bet. Anthony Alford homered in his first game today. Uh, Dustin Fowler is going to come in eventually after that trade protocol comes through. I, I'm, I'm just going to start off with that one. Which one of these two intrigues you more, Josh? The the shortstop or the outfield? It's weird because normally I would say shortstop, but for some odd reason, outfield catches my attention for two different reasons. One, I'm actually kind of a, a quasi fan of Brian Goodwin. I'm, I'm always going to be interested in a guy that plays more than one position that brings a little athleticism to the, to the spot, especially when you have that kind of center field in Pittsburgh. If you're playing center field in Pittsburgh, you got to be a certain kind of guy. If you're going to patrol that center field at PNC park 81 times a season. So, you know, it's going to be a guy that's good at covering a lot of space. So Brian Goodwin's really intriguing to me, but Anthony Alford, you mentioned he do homers in his first spring training game. I'm really intrigued to see what he can bring to it because it's not one of those situations where it may be a specific everyday guy. And I'm okay with that because if you're able to not totally borrow from other sayings here, but if you can recreate in the aggregate of at least having the defensive element here, having a little bit of a little bit more of an offensive element there, if you can kind of patch together this traits that you need to make the guy who, who plays that position well, I'm okay with that, but I am a little bit intrigued to see what happens in center field because, you know, there was a period where they really weren't saying where Brian Reynolds was going to play. Is he going to play in center field? Is he going to play in left field? And they weren't really committing to it. And I don't know if that was because they didn't want to tip their hand or if they really weren't 100% certain, but 
you know, that's always one of the things that kind of sits in the back of your mind and goes, well, if things go wrong, will they ever consider Brian Reynolds being a factor back there? So yeah, that's, that's an intriguing thing for me, if for no other reason than because they have a handful of guys, which is the first time in a while where they've had a handful of guys that can play that position and it wasn't like super controversial. Like back to when Andrew McCutcheon got moved to right field and Starling Marte's there and everybody went crazy. Now you got options and no one's upset about it. It's kind of a different feeling for me. Yeah. I, I'm going to say the outfield also, but for the other uh, guy I mentioned there, Anthony Alford, I, I'm going to admit, I've only seen him play six games now. And, you know, you see him a little bit in batting practice, you know, for a minute at Pirate City. But in those six games, an absolutely microscopic sample size, I, I like what I've seen from him. Of course, he's homered a couple times there, you know, a couple triples, I think, in there also. So, oh, yeah, there's a lot to actually like there. But here's a guy who is a complete wild card. And I'm going to preface it saying that, you know, Actually, not even a wild card. I'm going to steal the Michael Scott line from the office. He's like, Anthony Alford is a two. Okay, someone's a seven, <laughs> someone's a jack, someone's an ace. Anthony Alford is a two, but sometimes twos are wild. And oh that's, kind of, that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, I, I'm not saying, oh, boy, Parts just stole the top overall you know, prospect from the Blue Jays system for free again. But here's someone. Here's someone that I – the type of player that I do want to see – a team that really isn't going to compete in 2021, the type of guy I want to see get opportunities. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people, when they look at what this roster looks like, especially when you see the range of names, when it goes from a Colin Moran and a Todd Frazier to an Anthony Alford and a Brian Goodwin, and you're going, what are they trying to do here? And knowing that a guy like he, Brian Hayes is at third and knowing that the, the certain the shortstop situation is kind of muddled the way it is. And you have to remind them, like, look, this is not a team that they're not trying to put guys together that are going to necessarily go and compete for a division championship. They're trying to figure out who the pieces are, who either A, it might be able to stay here long term and become part of that core, or B, might have a value to bring something else back later on. Because when you have that glut of players in different positions, you can only play one per inning. And if you bring one out, you got to that guy can't come back in. You got to put someone else in. So it's not like you can interchange them. You have to be a little bit more judicious with how you use guys, but there's only so many you can get either on the field or on the bench, which means you got to figure out who plugs in where or who might have value to do something else with. So yeah, this is one of those things where there are guys who are going to get opportunities. They're either going to do well with it and prove that they can stay or they might prove all with it. And Ben Charrington might say, you know what, I can get something for this guy and maybe fill another hole somewhere else, which is pretty much if you're a GM, that, that's the ideal. You want to make sure you have talent that either can serve you or can get you something else that serves you. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you as far as guys getting opportunities and understanding what they really are, because this is a team that needs to figure out across the board what it is now and what it could be in the next three to four years, if you're really looking that far ahead. I think you have to look at least a couple years ahead with this Pirates team. I mean, this is – there are a couple people on this roster that are going to be part of the next competitive Pirates team, like Brian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, Mitch Keller. But I guess that's why I can't really get as excited about the shortstop one because I don't know if the short – if any of the guys that are competing right now for shortstop are going to be part of that next playoff team. Of those I, – I mean, Cole Tucker, Kevin Newman definitely could be. 
you know, if Kevin Newman hits like he did in 2019 again, and, you know, he's worked on his first step and if he becomes a better fielder there, then yeah, he absolutely can be a part of that next competitive team. Cole Tucker is a former first round draft pick, a high, you know, prospect this entire time. But in the middle infield, for, for better or worse, I kind of look at Nick Gonzalez at second and Lovera Piguero at shortstop. And it's like, well, that's, that's just the middle infield of the future. And I, I know that's not right to think about, but whenever we do look a couple years into the future with this team, it's like, I, I just don't see as clear a path for Cole Tucker or Kevin Newman. And definitely not Eric Gonzalez. I'm sorry. Eric Gonzalez is a Sunday starter in, in my book. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but let's stop you know, saying he's got to be the starter. Honestly, it's one of those things, if you've been around the game a lot, if you've covered the game a lot, if you've, if you've seen enough of it, we, we tend to have, I don't want to call them biases, but we have predispositions of what we expect to see with certain skill sets. So when you see guys that can do certain things, you go, okay, that, that, that could be the guy long-term. Like in your mind's eye, you, you kind of put your scout hat on and say, okay, this guy can project to be this. So I agree with you as far as Pagaro and Gonzalez, as far as the midfield, field, because you look at what they do, you look at your skill sets and say, all right, there's, there's something there that you can see being a long-term thing, whether it is, a, you know, speed and defensive ability or, or range at the shortstop position, or at least, you know, the ability to play up the middle, turn a double play, maybe cover that hole going towards first base at the second base position. Because if you have that kind of range at second base, there's a lot more you can do defensively because we've seen – We've seen second basemen who have range, and we've, second, we've seen second basemen who haven't. And the ones that do tend to, tend to lack at some other things, and the ones that don't tend to be better at other things. But you have Nick Gonzalez, who, if he can have that range, being a middle infielder in college, we know he's played a little bit of shortstop, if he can have that range defensively and be able to hit, it's hard to look past him as a guy that's second baseman in the future because you're going, look, he, he's not a guy that lacks something, so you don't have to work around him. If there's more a guy can do – you're going to be more inclined to see him there in the future. So I agree from that standpoint. And I think it's more or less just because of guys having a little bit more of a skill set that GMs are going to look at and say, okay, this is more projectable over time. So I don't disagree with you at all as far as looking a couple of years down the road. And I think you're also right to the point that, you know, Cole Tucker is a guy who still could work his way into that picture. The problem is you look at a guy like Cole Tucker, he has athleticism like coming out of his pores. He has the projectable body. He's the long kid. He's got the, you know, he's got the, the projectable body and the, the wiry build and he's got, you know, the hands and everything else. He's even got the, you know, if you want to go totally traditional, he's got the good face. He's got the hair. He's just got, he's got all those small little quirky things that people tend to like traditionally. But you wonder how well it projects on the field and does it always you know, show the way you expect it to. And this is one of those times where I'm actually glad I'm not a GM because I could look at something 900 times and probably look, think it 900 different times than maybe Ben Charrington would. So it's like, you know, do you find something that looks different on that 901st rep that might look different from the 900? And does it look different? It doesn't look like it's gotten better over time and can it still project more over the future i think just we're trying to figure that out with cole tucker that's what kind of brings me back to we're talking about earlier so if you have guys that actually do those things that suit you that helps you or it might be one of those things like okay well if he can't help us here can he help us somewhere else or can he help someone else but yeah i agree with you i don't think eric gonzalez really fits into that long-term situation i wonder if kevin newman can continue to be 
a consistent enough hitter and a consistent enough defender to where his value becomes better served bringing something back. But it might be too early to figure that out because the sample sizes have been so small. We have not seen him do it over 162 games. Last year was supposed to be that year where we saw it, and then we know what happened. So we might have had our answer already if 2020 hadn't gone the way it had. We might have had an answer of Cole Tucker if 2020 hadn't gone the way it had. So maybe that's why this becomes even more important because you're going to probably find that answer out a year late, but it might give us better insight. If I had to look into those three guys you already mentioned as far as who could still be inserted in the future, it does seem more like Cole Tucker, but only because, A, he's still young enough that there's still room for him to grow and improve and maybe do those things that look a little bit more projectable and maybe look more favorable. But like you also said, there's, there's some things there that need to be sorted out, but he'll at least have time this season, assuming everything falls into place to do that. I'm going to preface this by saying that we haven't seen a full season of Cole Tucker yet. Right, exactly. And, and that's the most important thing to remember with Cole Tucker. I'm, I'm willing to flush that 2019 season because he wasn't ready yet. They called him up out of necessity. You know, he, it was just, you know, rock at a hard place, threw the kid up there. And he wasn't horrible. He was replacement level, which, you know, for a guy who was needed a little more time, that's not horrendous. And for the record, it was the same situation with Brian Reynolds. It was necessity yeah. because you had your shortstop and your left fielder run into each other and you had to try to replace some guys in the outfield. And that's exactly what happened. I guess just say shortstop and center fielder. So they had to bring these two guys up and they yeah. put them both in the water. One started swimming and the other one started flailing a bit. Yeah. And, and last year, not only the shortened season and everything that goes with it, I don't think people really appreciate how tough it is to learn outfield. And like how much more taxing it is to not only learn a new position and take extra reps to make sure you don't embarrass yourself out in the field and you don't make that mistake that'll cost your team the game, but just all the extra running around and how that could actually wear down on a body a little more. Plus everything yeah. else that was going on in 2020 and plus, you know, still trying to actually learn it. So I, I get that. I'm willing to flush the first two years of Cole Tucker in the majors. But whenever you're talking about skill sets that we haven't seen yet, the one that I haven't seen from Cole Tucker, and maybe this is just me buying jeans because <laughs> I, I love look the reference. at <laughs> Moneyball love for those who don't get yes. it. Because he's got the speed. He's got the I, – I, I look at Cole Tucker, and I'm sure this is what scouts saw from him in 2014 whenever they drafted. It's like, here's a guy who could be a slick fielding, base-stealing leadoff hitter in the future. And I see two of those three things still going on. I just need to see him actually put good swings together. Like Derek Shelton says, consistent swings. And it's something that Cole recognizes himself. You know, he's like, my body's gangly. I, I – get, you know, twisted into weird angles. It's not the way that, you know, I should be positioning-wise. And, and he's worked on that. And it's good that he recognizes that. But it has to translate. Like, even watching some BP, you, you see him every once in a while real just like, oh, that wasn't so good. I mean, this guy's a, a tall, gangly dude. I mean, he's, he's not exactly – if you didn't know that he was – a major league baseball player, I don't think a lot of people would suspect that he, he played baseball. If you said athlete, you'd think, okay, uh, basketball or something small forward. I don't know. Right. And he kind of fits that profile of, you know, late eighties, early nineties, where 
you saw teams really moving towards the more athletic type guy and just kind of turned him into a baseball player. He kind of fits that mold. I want to invent a time machine and put Cole Tucker on the go-go Cardinals. I just, yes, yes, that's, that's exactly what, right. Yes. Just make him Vince Coleman Jr. As a, as a guy who played on the high school team that was very much like the go-go Cardinals, my senior year of high school, we were very much like that team. We had a bunch of guys that could run. So our, our coach's mindset was, okay, when you get on, you start running. You get behind him. We all start running and just drive people crazy. And a lot of times I was at the bottom of the order, so I would kind of swing things back around. I was a number nine guy. And the number one comes behind me. He's like, if you get on, you're running. And it kind of felt that way. So I kind of identify with that probably more than anything else. I had the same thing, but in Little League. <laughs> <laughs> I could run. I learned to run the bases that way, at least. I couldn't hit worth, you know. Fair enough water going out of a boat or whatever the expression is hey we're gonna take a quick break i had an idea for a second segment but i think we're just gonna we're just gonna riff stay tuned (laughs) i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to the podcast to be named later. I'm joined with Josh Taylor of KDKA Sports. Josh, I, I, I threw this out to Josh a little bit. So just feign like this is a completely new idea that you've never heard before in your life. But Josh and I, whenever we do have our baseball talks, he was in a unique situation from 2012 to 2014 where he was in Arkansas. He got to cover the Kansas City Royals, where maybe not that entire core was in the majors yet, but that Kansas City team had definitely two waves of players before they, became, before they won pennants and won the World Series. You, you got the second wave with Ace Ventura, with, with Will Myers, you know, those guys right there. So whenever we look at the Pirates farm system right now, 2023 is kind of like the big year before, you know, the Pirates – because that's whenever I think Quinn Priester's going to come up, Andy Rodriguez, Brandon Malone, Majinski, just like a whole bunch of arms. 
you've seen what it's like whenever there is that wave of talent coming around. Do you not say you were able to see it all the way through in Kansas City, but how does it actually make a difference whenever these guys grow up the same way or at um, the same time? Yes and no. And honestly, it's, it's actually harder to have that happen because we, we love to project things, especially when you're covering baseball. We, we love to project where guys could be a year or two off, or you have this, this group of guys that's in Altoona that could be moving up to Indianapolis. There's a group of guys in Indianapolis that are knocking on the door. It's harder to have all of it happen at the same time. Like it, the thing is, we, we try to with our, our, our mind's eye project it, but the truth is it's really like the stars alive. And it's like picking a parlay. A lot of things have to happen at the same time. So yeah, I, I got the opportunity covering the Northwest, Northwest Arkansas Naturals, the AA affiliate of the Royals. But I also got to cover, uh, in covering that team, I got to see a lot of other teams, AA affiliates come in. I saw a lot of Springfield mm-hmm. Cardinals. I saw a lot of the Corpus Christi Hooks. I saw a lot of the, um, the uh, Midland Rockhounds from the Oakland A's organization. So I got to see guys like Sonny Gray, um, Oscar Tavares before he passed away so tragically. Uh, same thing with your Donna Ventura, almost in the, in the same fashion. So you got to see some really good players play. Nolan Arenado among them when he was in Tulsa, when Tulsa was still the Rockies AA affiliate. And you see so many different players that they're competing against, but you're right. It's so much more interesting when you have a couple of guys that are around at the same time and you wonder what they can be. And honestly, when I was there, the couple of those guys were actually, Giordano Ventura was one of them, and their catcher at the time was Manny Pena, who eventually ended up becoming a Milwaukee Brewer. He got, he got to the show eventually with another organization. But there were a few guys, and Will Myers was among them too. And you're looking at this talent going, wait a minute, they can get Will Myers up and they can get Ventura up at the same time. And a couple of these other guys, and Christian Colon, who had been a previous first-round pick, maybe this is the wave of talent that pushes them over. Well, the truth of the matter is, they, did not, they didn't actually happen that way. Ventura ended up being the guy who actually ended up there and being a part of that group. Will Myers gets traded. And we're like, wait a minute. He was supposed to be one of the guys that was in that next wave. Well, the problem was at the time, Will Myers was a great prospect and everyone knew it. We knew how talented he was. The problem was they didn't have a spot for him. There was really no place to put him. He was playing different positions. I want to say originally he was a catcher when he actually was first starting out in pro ball. Then they had him at one point in the outfield. They had him playing games at third base for a week or two because they were just trying to figure out, okay, if something goes wrong, where can we put Will in case we need to put him there? Because as far as the big club was concerned, they really did not have a long-term position to project him to because he was blocked at all the other positions that he was playing, which is interesting because, you know, he got traded to Tampa Bay and eventually gets traded to San Diego. He was the first baseman in San Diego for a while before they bring in Eric Hosmer. And where does he end up but back out in the outfield? So it was kind of a, a weird, you know, merry-go-round for him as far as going to different positions because it had happened to him before in AA and I'd seen it happen before. So I kind of giggled when it happened to him in San Diego. It's just like the more things change, the more they stay the same. But I say all that to say this because you expect those things to happen the way they do but then things change organizationally and we never really saw that group that we saw at the time in 2012, 2013, that group never formed the way it was because Will Myers gets traded off. Yordana Ventura probably took a step to, or step or two maybe faster than we expected. So he rose a little bit faster and Christian Cologne didn't come in to the back end. And he was one of those guys that was more off the bench, you know, a, a, a pinch runner here and there, maybe a defensive replacement but he was one of those guys that was on the back end also. So it was really kind of strange to see 
you know, when you thought roles were so clearly defined or paths were so clearly defined that it really didn't end up that way. And they did get there in different time periods. And then Will Myers case with a different organization. Will Myers is going back to what you were talking about in the first segment, especially with someone like Kevin Newman, you know, the, someone who's valuable, but maybe more so in, in a trade just because, you know, right. what, where the organization is right now. Will Myers was traded for James Shields, who probably only the second best prospect who was ever traded for James Shields, I guess we could say. <laughs> but Wow. Um, You're not wrong. No, but, but that's kind of the point. And that's actually a good transition to, to San Diego because – this is something Ben Sherrington has talked about, you know, why the Pirates need this farm system, not only, you know, just to have this core going up because they, at some point they're going to be a competitive team and they're going to have to trade for people. And if you have, you know, the reserves, you know, in the minor leagues, you can make those trades. And if, if you botch a trade, like let's say you trade Tyler Glass, now and Austin Meadows and Shane Boz for Chris Archer, it won't cripple the organization, which that was, brought up half because i wanted to just say that even chris archer is crapping on the chris archer trade nowadays that that shane boss tweet was like that, that is was the, it's one of the strangest pages of baseball irony i've ever seen i yeah. when i saw that i'm going is that even possible that you could make fun of your own trade that you were in i mean that's I, I i don't know what <laughs> Chris Archer dug up the corpse of of Neil Huntington and his, you know career. He's like, hang on, a couple more kicks in here. This is for making oh, yeah. me throw a two seamer. He was totally punching the casket. I'm like, man, it, it it was it was a little bit morbid, but at the same time, you're like, hey, it, one of those rare situations we could get a shot in. Why not? But yeah, to your point, and I've I've talked about this so much in depth. Um, especially with uh, Greg Finley, uh, my co-host on the Sunday Morning Ground podcast. We talk about this so much. We have talked about San Diego for the past couple of years, just about the young talent that they had. And it's just like, man, if they could just put a couple good pitchers together, they would become a much <laughs> more complete team. And they might have done Chris, that. <laughs> Chris Paddock shows up and they, they trade for you, Darvish. They trade for Blake Snell. They, they trade for Clevenger, who you're not going to see this year, but you'll probably see next year. And we're like, wait a minute. They went from having no pitchers to like seven in the starting rotation. This is crazy. McKenzie but it, it really comes back to that depth in the minor leagues that you were talking about. Yeah, Mackenzie Core is like the sixth best prospect in baseball, and he's like <laughs> the sixth guy in their rotation order right now. It, it, it really has that David Price in Tampa feel to it. It's just like, okay, we got all these pitchers, and then we got this Price kid who's really good for Vanderbilt. What do we do with them? It kind of feels like that. And it's one of those things with San Diego where, and by the way, they just signed the like top, one of the top pitching prospects at 17 years old. And I actually texted this to a friend. I'm like, yeah, and Pirates fancy. There's probably like, oh, big whoop. But the Padres have been doing this so much. <laughs> they have been collecting so much young talent, whether it is in trades, whether it's international signings, whether it's kids that they draft. You know, we've seen even the Pirates, when one of the trades they brought back, they brought back a kid. They gave it a $3 million, I think it was, bonus to in the third round. They have invested a lot in youth. And their thing was just collect all this young talent. And sooner or later, they're either going to help your team or they're going to help you get something else. And it's something that I, 
you and I talked about this from the moment Ben Sherrington's name was brought up and even rumors of coming to this city. The first thing I said was, that's the guy I want. I wanted Ben, I wanted ben Sherrington from the time I heard his name, but not necessarily just because of his own history, but because of the history of where he came from in Boston. I tell this story probably every other time I talk about baseball. Theo Epstein had this theory, God, almost 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago where he wanted to turn Boston into a Newport organization. After the 2005 season, they got swept by the White Sox in the divisional playoff. And they're saying, well, what do we need to do? Who do we need to sign? Who are the free agents we need to bring in? And Theo Epstein's going, hold on a second. We got some really good guys out of minor leagues. We got this Eucalyptus kid that plays third base. We got this Lester kid that's a good pitcher. We got Jonathan Papelbon. We got uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. You got this Pedroia kid. We got this wave of talent that if we just use these homegrown guys, they could be the core of a next championship team. And they were like, we don't need to do that. We just need to sign some free agents to try to contend next year to the point where Theo Epstein's banging the table for his own minor league system. <laughs> this is how crazy this got for him. He's like, look, we have all this talent here. Yes, of course we have money to spend. But if we actually invest in our own minor league system, we can bring these guys up. And that way, we only need to use the money to bring in the pieces that we're missing. So either you can do that through trades or then maybe go to free agency. And that really became the infancy of what we saw in Boston and it turned into what four world series titles in a decade and a half. They were able to do that and keep turning it over. And you keep sawing the pat. You keep seeing the pattern. If you go back and look at the seasons that Boston had from the Theo Epstein to Ben Charrington time period, it was the same thing. It was championship year down, year down, like progression championship, a couple years in between championship, a couple years in between championship, because they just kept reloading talent because they didn't just, they weren't just satisfied with having one or two good years. Their was be good perpetually and keep bringing talent in. That way we can either funnel it up or funnel it out to bring back things that you wanted. And even before Ben Charrington left, he turned it into a couple of really good draft picks. One of which I have a very close connection to with my time being in Arkansas and Andrew Benintendi, whom I saw play as a freshman and a sophomore for the university of Arkansas. And it was just that situation where, where we saw in Boston a couple of years ago it was Ben Intendi and Betts and Bogarts and pretty much any good ball player that was under 25 whose name started with the B was playing for Boston. But it came back around to that theory of bringing in so much young talent. There was by any means you can bring it in and just build it up and either keep it in your system or trade it off or sell it off to bring in stuff that you did. And it's not like it's that porn of a concept because we saw Atlanta do it in the 90s over a decade and a half. It's not like it's that Atlanta's porn. doing it now. And, and Atlanta's doing it now. They've gone right back to what they did before. You're totally right. So when you see Atlanta and the Padres and even the Dodgers in some cases come back to doing things like that, granted, the Dodgers are on a bit of a different plateau as far as the money they spend on their major league product. Travis Sochik wrote a really great piece in Baseball America talking about what Ben Charrington's trying to do do and he cited other teams around the league and the success that they had of course houston's one of the more recognizable ones because it was one of the more recent but then you go back to the cubs who did the same thing with a lot of good early picks and made it work and san francisco did the same thing in the previous decade and we talked about how atlanta's done it and then the yankees have gone young and it's there's so many teams that have actually done it and it feels like that there's this change happening but the truth of the matter is there's just more organizations realizing that, hey, this is the way to do it with rebuilding and young talent. And it doesn't help with one of the, when one of the guys who championed that theory and Andrew Friedman being in Tampa at the time, now with him to LA and oh, implements yeah. it with the Dodgers who are spending money like water. That's what makes it seem not fair. Because what, what Theo Epstein was doing in Boston, it made it seem not fair. And now it's kind of on the other side of the country. Yeah. I mean, whenever the big market teams or the, the high payroll, however you want to refer to them, you know, they, they 
or stealing from the little guys their ideas and doing them just as well. And actually even better because you could invest even more money into the farm system right. that way if you so choose. And that doesn't even count against major league payroll. So who cares about luxury tax and stuff like that? That's Which is what Boston really did. And that's kind of yeah. how they were able to do it so well for a decade and a half. Yep. And then Dave Dombrowski got his hands on it for five minutes and it's going to be a decade until they're good again. <laughs> you, it's It's so weird how – you see old baseball guys kind of keep shifting around and they keep doing old baseball things. Him, they have the nerve to be surprised when they don't work. Him especially. Right. Why is Dave Dombrowski the golden <laughs> child? Like, like I, get, I get it with Miami. Whenever he won that World yes. Series in, in 97. Like, okay, yeah. two thumbs up. Yes, he got a bigger payroll. But, you know, there was a lot of homegrown guys that was going right. big and getting Levon Hernandez. That's a lot of good stuff. Even Detroit. But I think after him leaving Detroit and just see just like the desolate wasteland that he left behind, it'd be yeah. like, okay, cool. But you're not going to ma- – oh, oh, now you're getting the Red Sox job. And he completely decimates that farm system. Ben Jerrington made the best – he left, you know, the best farm system – Arguably, any general manager has, has inherited in quite some time. Absolutely. And he's like, well, I'll hang on to Benintendi, but everyone else could get traded. I don't know. It, it, I don't it know. made no sense to me. It made no sense. And now the, the interesting part is, you know, as we started this segment, Benintendi's now in Kansas City, which is crazy. Like, I don't know why. Of itself. Oh, okay, okay. I get that there was a hint of rumor. I, I never had like this confirmed or anything, but there was that rumor that Benintendi might become a pirate. It's like, that's just not going to happen. They're going to want major league pitching and everything. And then I saw what Benintendi was traded for. And I'm wondering why the hell is he not a pirate? Like I like Anthony Alford, but Andrew Benintendi would have been a whole lot better. I, I saw that. I saw that on Twitter and Greg Finley sent it to me. And my response was in capital letters. Stop filling me with false hope. Don't bring her. Don't threaten to bring a razor back. Pittsburgh and not expect me to get excited. That's not fair. That's teasing me and teasing me is, is mean. It's rude. I, I would have loved to see it, but I was just like, I, no, I refuse to get my hopes up because that's cruel if it does not happen. I would have loved it though. Clearly. I would have been saying Moo Pig every other day on, on the sports cast. If people been going, what is wrong with this guy? I've been saying Moo Pig Suey every other Saturday and I would think I was crazy, but I would, I'd have fun doing it. It'd be fun. Yeah. Be great. All right. Before we go, I, I just heard this story right beforehand. I, I got <laughs> okay. to get this on the record, though, just so everyone can know it. I need you to tell the story about how you broke Jason Kendall's retirement to close. Oh, man. This goes back to my time in Arkansas covering the Naturals in, in AA in the Texas League. Um, I, was, I was telling this story literally a couple of days ago. There were probably six or seven times where being either from Pittsburgh or having previous experience working in Pittsburgh – intersected with my career in Arkansas. And this was one of those times. Covering the, covering the naturals, Jason Kendall was in town. He was coming off shoulder surgery. He was rehabbing. And he was going to be there for a few games. And he had played, I want to say he played in the first game of the series. And in the second game, um, earlier that afternoon, he was going to meet with the media and talk about his rehab and how things were going and how he was feeling and how he felt about the ballpark. Because our best ballpark in, in Springdale, Arkansas, was a relatively new ballpark. You know, Natural's only been there for maybe five or six years. They actually won a Texas League title. They'd really built themselves up to be one of the more, you know, upscale minor league, uh, minor league clubs. And, you know, they were going to get his impressions about stuff like that. So Kendall walks in, and literally it's a handful of beat writers and me. I'm the only guy with a TV camera. 
and Jason sits down and says, you know, I know you guys had a lot of things to talk about. You probably had some questions, but I'm just going to get this out there. Um, I'm, I'm done. I'm retiring from baseball. And the whole room just kind of pauses. And we're like, was this why we were here? And even the GM of the, the double-A team, he's standing by the door. It, at the time, his name was Eric Edelstein. I look over, and Eric's face is like, oh, crap. I don't think anybody saw this coming. <laughs> it was something no one knew except Jason sitting there. We're like, okay, so this wasn't planned. So let's see how this goes. And at one point, people, like, they kind of look back at me, and I'm, I'm the only guy with the camera. And I'm going, I'm recording it. Yeah, it's here. Like, I got the video. So – he, he goes through the entire thing and he's describing everything. Meanwhile, behind the camera, I very slyly and very calmly and not to make any sudden moves, pull up my cell phone and pull up Twitter quickly to tweet out breaking Jason Kendall retires from major league baseball send. No one else had said anything. So I put it out there. So I technically broke the story of Jason Kendall retiring, but it was, it was a really cool full circle because once the press conference was over, he stuck around. It was, he was really gracious. He was talking to some of the writers that were there. And I went up and introduced myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually from Pittsburgh, you know, born and raised, grew up in Pittsburgh. I watched you play, you know, during my high school years. He goes, oh, okay, cool. He said, um, he said, did you work there for a while? I said, yeah, I worked at, uh, I worked at, um, you know, another station there. I worked at WTAE with Guy Junker. He's one of my mentors. He goes, oh, tell Guy. I said, hey. So I ended up texting, you know, the guys at that station because I was working for their sister station at the time. I was working for another her station. So I texted him and said, hey, I got video of Jason Kendall announcing his retirement. Do you want it? And they're like, yeah, sure. And, and guy answers and says, yeah, I want it. Tell Jason I said hi. So I come back and said, hey, guy Junker said hi. He goes, oh, man, love guys. Awesome. So he's telling me stories about that. So he's telling me stories about when he was rehabbing after he, he um, broke and dislocated his ankle. He was rehabbing in San, San Diego. And guy Junker came out to interview him. We had talked about all this random Pittsburgh stuff. And it's just like. And part of me stops and goes, I am talking about Jason Kendall's career as a pirate while I'm working my first anchor job in Arkansas. And it was one of those out of body, I can't believe this. If 18 year old me saw this, he would freak out type stories. But it was one of those weird parallels. Like this is something I could not make up being a guy that grew up in Pittsburgh. It is now covering sports and got to witness a guy who had the, the apex of his career during my teenage years retiring right in front of me unexpectedly. It was just absolutely random but it's one of my favorite stories of working in a in market media market 101 as a as a weekend tv sports anchor and it's one of those stories that i, I can never make up because it's just that peculiar but it, it's it makes it that much more awesome being a pittsburgh guy i do like the i do like the ankle of jason kendall surprising even the general manager i no one knew it, in, no in one knew. my heart in my heart, hearing this story, I like to think Jason Kendall decided about three seconds before he retired. You know what? I think I retired. I think I retired. It, it felt that way. Like, because he literally just walked in the door. We're expecting to say, oh, you know, how's, how, how's things going? How's your shoulder feeling? How you feeling? You know, what's it like working with some of the younger guys? What are you telling them? Stuff like that. He sits down like, yeah, I'm done. What? And, and the, at one point, the GM of the AA club goes, I got to go get on the phone. <laughs> just kind of runs out the door. And no one knows what to do. We're just like, I guess we're doing our jobs today. All right, let's let's uh, let's ask some questions. And I mean, he he pretty much ran it down. He goes, "Look, I've been doing this for this long. You know, I've, I've done everything I could. It's just I'm just ready to go back home and be a father and do stuff with my kids." And we're like, "All right, thanks, Jason. This was a fun, pleasant surprise. And you you made the one Pittsburgh 
Bird Kids Day. This is awesome. So <laughs> unbelievable. Um, uh, if I if I ever wrote a memoir, that story will be in it because it's just one of the most crazy, peculiar things where where my career was able to intersect with my 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 childhood. It's in, incredible. Josh, thank you so much for coming on, man. What do you want to plug? You, you, you've earned a couple plugs here. Oh gosh, uh, a lot to plug actually. Um, of course, uh, CBSN. If you want to watch it online, of course, KDKA um, nightly sports call, Ireland contracting nightly sports call, powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, seven days a week, ten thirty-five Pittsburgh CW. Um, me on social media, Josh Taylor HD. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Sunday Morning Ground Podcast, there's that too, wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, book coming out this spring, Pittsburgh Sports Firsts. Oh. I wrote with a bunch of collaborators. I wrote a couple chapters. One was on the first black player to play in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, one was for the first, I believe, first college football game that was on radio. Just a lot of great stories. You never realize how many things in professional sports and college sports happened for the first time, either in Pittsburgh or with teams affiliated with Pittsburgh. And it's a great collection of stories. You guys should check it out. So that'll be out this spring too. So a bunch of stuff happening right now. And what's it called again? Pittsburgh Sports Firsts. All right. I'm going to definitely check that out whenever it comes out this spring. Josh, thank you for being on. And thank you all for listening to the podcast to be named later here on DK Sports Radio. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. There's a lot of other great content on here. We'll talk again next week. Mm-hmm.